0: Our Father, the psalmist at one point said, Answer me quickly, O Lord, for I am in distress. There are times when we find ourselves in immediate need of help. We find ourselves in situations where we not only need a well-timed help, we need a swift answer. That's not everyone who's here tonight, but... Undoubtedly, it's some guys. And thank you, Lord, that when we pray that you hear us. Somewhere else in Psalms, just where escapes me now, but it's in there, he said, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I shall live. Uh, you listen, Lord. You hear us. You not only hear our words, you hear our hearts. And in those times of great pressure and in those times where the walls are closing in swiftly and we see no way out and we need a swift response, you are able to hasten a response. Even when things look bleak, even when we see no options, that is not a problem for you. Your arm is not too short that it cannot save. We have, uh, most of us in this room, have been in those situations. If we're not in one now, we have been there, and we have seen your hand come through swiftly and just in the nick of time. We stop and we thank you for those times. We don't ever want to forget those deliverances. Uh, we weren't sure we'd make it another day, and, and actually days and months and maybe years have gone by since that event occurred, but you came through. Uh, don't let us lose our memories of those answers. Don't let us forget It is good to recall them. It is good to bring them back to our remembrance. It's good to tell our children and our grandchildren of those deliverances because it will give them something to hold on to when they face those times, which they undoubtedly will. And the thought will come, if you got my grandfather through it, you can get me through it. Those are ways that we pass on our personal accounts of faithfulness to the coming generations. And they're going to need it, Lord. They are going to need it for where we are and where we are going. We are thankful tonight that you were there. We are thankful that you have always been always and that you always will be we have not always been but we are now and you've been faithful to us our entire lives so we say thank you the pressures the worries the concerns we lay at your feet We trust you to be faithful again, to send the answer, to send the deliverance at the right time. In the interim, we pray that we would not lose our perspective or our balance or our peace. He whose mind is stayed on thee, thou will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. May that characterize our hearts tonight. We ask these things in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, we're in our uh, continuing study on the theme of manna. Uh, Manna is what God did for them in the wilderness for 40 years. When they came out of the wilderness, it stopped... But they had to have it every day in the wilderness. Um, That 40-year period is full of lessons and truths for us as we are now walking the face of the earth and following Christ. Uh, We we all encounter wildernesses from time to time. Uh, we, We have times of great favor and of great blessing. We have what uh, Jim McKay would be the thrill of victory, now and then. Uh, you young guys, Google Jim McKay. <laughs> there used to be a program called Wide World of Sports. It was pretty good. They, they uh, sometimes had to really scrape to come up with a program. I remember on Saturday afternoons actually watching uh, guys in Canada uh, drinking Molson Ale, who would uh, see how many barrels they could jump over on ice skates. And um, that was fixating television, let me tell you. (laughs) But as we've talked about, we've alluded to this before in here, there uh, would be in the opening the thrill of victory, and then he would talk about the agony of defeat. And you still remember the guy who was the poster boy for the agony of defeat coming off the ski jump. Obviously, he'd had quite a bit of Molson ale or Heineken or something, <laughs> whatever they drink in Yugoslavia, because uh, he couldn't even get in the crouch position without falling off the ski jump. Uh, so, but there are times we enjoy God's favor, and we have seasons of great prosperity. There are other seasons where we're in the wilderness. Um, uh, usually, life is intermixed with both. Yeah, life is like a checkerboard you got blessing, you got adversity. It's, it's a mixture. It's just how it is. When we find ourselves in adversity, and when we find ourselves uh, in a wilderness with things not going our way and things coming against us, and sometimes it's not one thing, but it's two or it's three, we have to be very, very careful. Because if we're not careful, we can fall into a trap which the people of Israel fell into during that 40-year period of wandering. Uh, What I want to talk about tonight is is the disease of grumbling and the disease of complaining. You've, you've heard the phrase "all sin is the same sin, all sins the same, and, and sin is sin." But in actuality, there there are, if you will, grades of sin. There are levels of sin. Uh, indeed, there are. Uh, it uh, sin is sin, but on the other hand, it's one thing uh, to tell a lie; it is another thing to take a life. You know that, I know it. Um, when we think of the disease of grumbling, we tend to put that on the small side of things. That's one of those smaller sins. That's one of those minor sins. And, and I would say initially, that's true. Um, last night I was going to bed. Uh, Mary said to me, she said, what is that spot on the back of your very large bicep (laughs) and why are you laughing yeah she didn't say that she said what's that spot on the back of your uh, arm there and I said what spot she said I've never seen that I said what are you talking about she said there's a white spot I said come on and she said I'm dead serious so I went in the bathroom and I got this white it's like a it looks like a patch about the size of a quarter. It looks like it's bleached. I'd never seen that in my life. I looked at that, I thought, what is that? I don't think it was there the day before. I, I, and, and I went back. I said, I don't know what that is. And she looked at it, and she goes, that is strange. I said, it is. And then, I went, and then I got in bed, and I started thinking, you know, in Leviticus, it talks about that if you have a white patch and there's a hair growing out of it, you need to go see a Levitical priest. Uh, I'm not shaking hands tonight because I may have leprosy. (laughs) Now, I forgot earlier, and if I shook your hand, I don't want you to be worried, but (laughs) check back with me in seven days, would you please? Um, I don't know what it is, but it was weird. Um, That's a small thing. I'm going to keep my eye on it. C.H. Spurgeon said this. Oh, take heed of those small beginnings of sin. Beginnings of sin are like the letting out of water. First there is an ooze, then a drip, then a slender stream, then a vein of water, and then at last a flood, and a rampart is swept before it, and an entire continent is drowned. Take heed of small beginnings, for they lead to worse. There's great wisdom there. There's great wisdom there. We're watching our nation fall apart. It is falling apart before our eyes. Os Guinness has made the statement that America is dying by suicide. And I think he's right. That has nothing to do with the text. I just wanted to say it. Uh, Actually, it does have quite a bit to do with the text. As we'll see in a minute, I kind of jumped the gun on that one. I'll get back to it. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 15. Now, this is this account is just as they are coming out of Egypt, getting ready. This is, this is before uh, the manna. Uh, if you look at Exodus 15, verse 24, we read this. And um, I'm going to pick it up in 22. 22. Then Moses, I'm in 22 of 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. Man, was that a great thrill of victory, the Red Sea? It was so great. If you look at the previous verses in 15, 1 through 21, Moses and the sons of Israel are singing a song to the Lord of praise and thanksgiving. That, that all, all from, from 15, 1 all the way down 21. They are praising the Lord for the amazing deliverance for the display of his power. He took them through that sea. He opened it up. They walked on dry land. Pharaoh's army came in. The cloud uh, came down on Pharaoh's army, confused them. The sea collapsed on them. Their entire enemies were wiped out just like that. And so there's tremendous uh, gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Now, Verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Two million people. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, they're out of water, but they have just seen God do, do a deliverance that should have been fresh on their mind. Prior to that, they had seen God, by his power, send ten plagues on the nation of Egypt, which finally convinced, plague number ten, finally convinced Pharaoh to let them go. They're three days away from a major victory in their grumbling. Just three days away. Why? Uh, There there are times when we experience short memory loss. You don't want to have this kind of short memory loss. There was no excuse for this. They're already grumbling. Um, Go with me to chapter 16, verses 2. 2. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Go down to verse 7. For he hears your grumblings against the Lord. Uh, Why why are they grumbling? Well, go back to 16.3. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is what you call stupid. (laughs) This is what you call unbridled foolishness. This is what you call a two-year-old throwing a fit. This, This is without excuse. This is serious what they're doing. They're making accusations here that have absolutely no factual basis. As a matter of fact, they're making accusations, accusations that are absolutely contra- it, that are contrary to the evidence that they have seen of the power and the care and deliverance of Almighty God. Are they not? And they're just getting going in the wilderness. They're just getting started. Uh, go with me. And I guess you could say um, this grumbling initially, I mean, it's already serious. But it's, it's, picking, up, it's picking up speed with these people. Um, Proverbs says, guard your heart for from it flows the wellsprings of life. You got to watch your heart and I got to watch my heart. And when the uh, the Old Testament concept of heart includes everything about you. Heart, mind, will, emotions. Watch yourself. Watch yourself, watch your mind, watch your thoughts because thoughts can get away from you. And we can very quickly become irrational in our thinking and we become irrational in our thinking, suddenly our our mouths start running. And we start saying things that we shouldn't be saying, and we have lost our self-control because we have not kept a guard on our heart. Uh, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the Bible says. Let's continue. Let's watch this Let's watch this uh, stream, this this drop, this trickle develop of grumbling. Um, Note, uh, let's go to, to, where am I going? Let's go to 17.3. I can't hit all of these. There's more grumblings in 16. Uh, You'll see it in verse 8 of 16. You'll see it in verse 9. You'll see it in verse 12. It was because of their grumblings. They're saying, man, life was so good in Egypt. Really? Really, you were slaves for 400 years. Oh, man, these were the good old days. Yeah, we had pots of meat. We had fajitas. I mean, we had barbecue like you've never... I mean, these guys are nuts. They're complaining. They, complete, they had selective memory. Now, this is when... Now, see, you read this. You, you read this complaining and this grumbling, and when I read it, I'm thinking, God ought to slam these guys. And what does God do? This is where he sends the manna. That's grace. That's mercy. That's loving kindness. That, that is, that's just flat-out mercy, is what that is. So in the midst of their grumblings and their selective memory... And their accusations which have no basis in fact. God shows mercy and grace, and he says, I'm going to send the manna, and he sends it. Uh, if you go to verse 17, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 17, they're out of water again. So the manna's been sent. Now in 17, then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin According to the command of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled. There it is again. Why now? Watch this. Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You know, you know what this has become? You know where these people are? This is flat-out unbelief. It's unbelief. Does this make any sense at all? Is there any logic in this, based on what God did to get them out of Egypt, based on what God did to get them through the Red Sea and kill their enemies, based on what God has just done to supernaturally send the manna, is there any logical, rational basis for them to now accuse the Lord because they're out of water. You see how it should work is this. Well, God delivered us 10 times by his power in Egypt, which caused Pharaoh to let us go. Then he did an incredible deliverance coming through the Red Sea. Gosh, he's just provided manna and now we're out of water. What would be the logical thing to think? If he took care of us here and here and here and here, and we're out of water, yet he has met us every time at our point of need with a deliverance and a well-timed help, what would be the logical thing to expect? He'll do it again. Does that not make sense? But see, that's not what they do. They're grumbling. They're complaining. They're murmuring. See, this is why in Psalm 95.10, God says this, for 40 years, I loathed that generation. For 40 years, I, if you will, despised that generation. Because you see what they did, they had all these facts about the goodness of God. They had all these facts about the power of God, about the existence of God, about the care of God. They had all of these facts of God. They saw his power enacted on their behalf, but they refused to acknowledge. They refused to acknowledge him. They refused to give him glory. They suppressed the facts. They suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, and they refused to give him thanks. Now, that kind of is familiar with Romans 1. If you'll flip to Romans 1. I, I, as I read Romans 1, I have a very difficult time. When I read Romans 1, verse 18, and I look at my life, and I look at the nation in which I live, I have a very hard time. Um, in fact, it's so hard, I can't do it. What I'm alluding to is I have a very hard time reading Romans 1.18 down to verse 32 and not applying it to our nation. Let's read it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men watch this, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now what did they do back there? They saw the truth of the living God. They saw his power. They saw his works. And what did they do? They suppressed it, and they accused him. Okay. This idea of suppressing the truth and righteousness is to put truth in a box and sit on it. I would submit to you, we do that in this nation academically. We do this in this nation uh, on every level of life. We do it in science. We do it, well, we do it, uh, economically, there are certain economic principles that people have followed for years and years and years. They're common sense principles. Uh, common sense is a synonym for wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's certain financial principles in the Bible. And even if people don't know the Lord, if they follow the wisdom that God gives in the Scripture concerning finances they're going to have favor in their life because they're following wisdom. You see? But we have thrown all this out the door. Let's read this. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. Every man knows in his heart of hearts that God exists. God's written the truth of himself on their hearts. That's what that verse says. Secondly, they know because of creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, watch this, have been clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So you study the stars, the constellations, all of that Psalm 19, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, but their voice is not heard. There's no voice, but they speak volumes. There's a creator. You study DNA. There's no voice, but it speaks volumes. 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give, watch this, thanks. Giving thanks is the opposite of grumbling. Giving thanks is the opposite of Complaining and murmuring. They became futile in their speculations. See, when you deny God and you refuse to honor him as God, your thinking becomes um, twisted. Your thinking becomes irrational. They became futile in their speculations. We hear all of these speculations being posited here and here and here and here. And they just are nonsense. Nonsense because their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That's when different uh, civilizations uh, build idols. You say, well, we don't have idols in this country. Some of you guys drive idols. Some of you live in idols. I had a guy one time, a Christian guy. I was talking to him, and he was telling me about the difficulty he'd been through. And he'd had some real struggles. And you know what? He, he said, here, I'm going to show you a picture. And I thought he was going to show me a picture of his wife or his kids or something. He pulled out a picture. You know what he showed me a picture of? His house. A house. A chumpin' house that he used to have and was his dream house. And he lost it. And he still carried that picture on with him. It's a house, man. Well, you know, maybe that house was an idol. Gee, maybe that's why he lost it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know his heart, but I mean, I, that was a new one on me. He just slaughtered a goat on the patio, and there was blood. Maybe that was a hint. Um, I made that up. That's not true. 24. Therefore, God gave them over. See, this is what happens. If you want to deny the truth about God, and you want to rebel against God, and you want to live as though God isn't there, the worst thing that God can ever do is to let you go the way that you want to go. So uh, there's going to be uh, graduations, if you will, of God giving them over. 24, therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever and ever. So, this is where everything gets out of whack. And we will destroy states and economies to save some kind of insect. It's just all out of whack. Or somebody will blow up a research lab that's doing research to save babies from a particular kind of disease, but someone will blow it up because they're doing research on animals. This is what happens when you deny that God is there. 26, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Lesbianism is unnatural. It's sin. And in the same way, the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire towards one another. Homosexuality is sin. Heterosexual adultery is sin. It's what the Bible teaches. It's not real popular today to declare what the Bible teaches. But it's what the Bible teaches. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? But see, you're not supposed to say these things anymore. Which demonstrates to me, we're right in the middle of it. Uh, 27, in the same way men the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men comi- committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. Now that's interesting. Because something occurs there as a result of that unnatural act that apparently, well, it's just something... That is fascinating to look at in the study. 22, and just as, uh, 28 rather, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, Disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And you better not say a word against it. It's not just wanting acceptance, it's wanting approval. That's how you know you've been given over. And as I read this, I'm thinking that's where we are. So we just need to know what the playing field is. But Jesus is still Lord. And he's still in charge. And I'm going to tell you something. The darker it gets, the more the light of the gospel comes through. That's the good news. And the gospel is ever-increasing and growing. It is. Ever-increasing and growing, Colossians 1. But I find this interesting to watch this drop begin to trickle and you see where this becomes... And, and what did old Spurgeon say? He says, uh, before you know it, a continent is drowned. That's where we are. But when you go back to the, to, to the root issues... Uh, in 18 and 19 and 20. One of the things is, even though in 21 they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. See, what this is, is hardened unbelief in rebellion. Let's go back to Exodus, because you see, that's what was quickly developing there. Larry Richards comments, he says, Exodus 15.22 through Exodus 18 relates the events that transpired on the Israelites' two-month journey from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. Uh, Reading quickly through it, we garner the impression that the Israelites are a bunch of complainers. They gripe, they grumble, they contend with Moses. If you read other English versions, you'll see that they also murmur. Now listen carefully. What we don't get from any English version is the significance of this reaction. The Hebrew phrase, grumble against, which occurs seven times in five verses in Exodus 16, describes an attitude of bitterness and hostility. The Hebrew verb, Mara, which depicts the people's words and actions in Exodus 15, 22 and 24, and Exodus 16, 1 through 8, describes these Israelites as rebellious. Their problem wasn't just a lack of trust. It wasn't simply that they whined a lot. These people bridled. They were totally unwilling to submit to God. Suddenly, unexpectedly, we see the same rebellious attitude in God's people that the Pharaoh of Egypt displayed. Isn't that fascinating? See, what we've been discussing here, this, this grumbling, this rebellion, uh, as, as we have seen, this is irrational thinking. It is irrational not to acknowledge God, and it is irrational not to be thankful to God. Uh, I was reading John Flavel, the old Puritan pastor, this week. And Flavel said this. He was talking about the goodness of God, and he was talking about the provision of God in every area of our lives. And, and, And I'm paraphrasing him. He said, if you... If you begin to find yourself, and I want to make a distinction here. There are times when, as believers, we find ourselves in hard circumstances. Um, There is a right way to complain, and there's a wrong way. What we have read about these people in these passages, these people, because of the hardness of their hearts, they were compl- watch this. They were complaining about God. They were slandering God. They were blaspheming God. They were libeling God. They were denying the truth about God. They were twisting the facts. They were lying boldface in the facts, in the evidence, in the face of the evidence, and continued the lie. That's demonic. Is what it is. That's what they were doing. You see, it's one thing to complain about God. It's another thing, as a Christian, to become a little bit discouraged and to have a disappointment and a setback. See, it's a whole other thing to complain to God. That's totally different than complaining about God. That's the line you don't ever want to cross. Um. See, when we complain, and there is a way to complain, biblically, we want to complain rationally, rationally. Flabel was saying this, and this ties in with rational thinking. Um, he said, "When you look at the disappointment in your life and maybe the unforeseen setbacks in your life as a believer, he said, you need to do the math. Look carefully at your life. Look very carefully at your life. Think carefully, think rationally, think logically. And if you do that and begin to see, look carefully at the goodness of God and the favor of God in your life and the adversity in your God, he said, I think if you do the math, you're going to come out at least four to one in favor of the favor of God in your life. He went on to say, if you look at it even in more detail, I think you'll come out ten to one in terms of the favor of God, as in regard to the adversity in your life. I think he's right. It's just that we don't look carefully enough. We get so honed in and focused on what is apparently not right in our lives, which we would like to have removed, be delivered from. It's all a matter of perspective, but we've got to think rationally, and we've got to think carefully. Turn with me, if you would, to... uh Psalm 100. See, this is why, on the way to Psalm 100, in Psalm 95, verse 10, God said, For 40 years I loathe that generation. Why? Because they were not thinking rationally, they were irrational. They were in rebellion, they had hardness of heart, they were not true believers. Let's look at Psalm 100. This is rational thinking. No matter where you are in life and no matter what difficulty you're in and what you're experiencing. Uh, It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us And not we, ourselves. We are not God. He is God. We have life because he gave us life. You breathe. You breathe. Because he lets you breathe. What have you accomplished? What are the greatest accomplishments? What are the accomplishments of your life? And by the grace of God, we we have some. And we're thankful for that. God has given us favor. Um. Whatever your accomplishments are uh, with your work, with your, perhaps your education, with your family, with uh, athletic prowess, whatever it is, um, don't do this. As we see young, immature athletes doing. What a foolish thing to do, right? The guy catches a football in the end zone. Actually, he didn't catch it. It went through his hands and lodged in his face mask. But his both feet were in, NFL, and so it's a touchdown. Plus, he dropped the previous five. But as that ball is lodged in his face mask, It's, I'm great. You're not great. You're not great. On the rare occasion when you catch a ball, it's because you've been given hand-eye coordination by God, and God also gave you the ability to concentrate, which apparently you rarely apply. (laughs) My dad used to tell me, and my two brothers if you can touch that ball you can catch it. My dad was a receiver in football and did pretty well. He never told me he did well I just found his yearbook in my grandma's garage one time and then I found out he'd done pretty well he never mentioned it. But my dad would say if you can touch that ball you can catch it it's all concentration it's just concentration and the other thing he'd say you're gonna get hit You're going to get one way or the other. You might as well catch it. (laughs) Because you're going to get hammered. You might as well get hammered and hold on to it. Right? Just a matter of concentration. Aren't you glad you came to Bible study? (laughs) See, we often take credit for things it's irrational to take credit for. Now, we are to work, and we're to work hard, and God honors that. He honors self-control, and God honors discipline. He honors that. There There are character traits and developments that we are to work on in our lives, that we encourage our children to develop. That's part of it. That's a good thing. But you see, when you do those things, you should not get a pride that is out of whack. It's a pride that's always in perspective. Because you see, you can't even breathe without him. Acts 17, in him we live and move and breathe. And he can take that breath in a minute. Verse 3, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. I, was, uh, I watched an interview this week with a young man re- who actually I knew as a high school student. And he and his family have gone to Dubai to start a church. And he was talking about the fact that um, just before he left, young guy, probably 30, he uh, started to lose feeling in his hands and his arms. And they're moving to this foreign country. And you know, when you move, you got to use your hands and your arms to pick up boxes. And he's got little kids. And he was saying, you know, um, couldn't even pick up boxes, couldn't even pick up my kids. Hmm. He wasn't embittered. And he wasn't grumbling. What he was saying was, the Lord made me very, very much aware of how dependent I am upon him for everything in life. I never thought about my hands before, and I never thought about my arms. I think about them all the time now. And I'm thankful that my legs work. And I'm thankful that my mind works. And I see, it's all perspective. Verse 4, uh, actually I skipped part of 3. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So watch this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Listen, he was faithful to those people coming out of Israel, and they denied his faithfulness. You can't do that. I can't do it. Yet things happen to us. And it's okay to complain, in a sense, when it does happen, if it's rational. Let me show you what I mean. Go over to Psalm 31, if you would, please. Psalm 31, if you will, is a psalm of complaint and praise. (laughs) You see this in Scripture. Because what happens is, you know, David wrote half the psalms and you'll often see him just coming clean and talking about his life and he just tells, Lord, this is my life and this and this and this. And, and, and he, is, uh, he is stating what he's dealing with. Nothing wrong with that. Because uh, he's talking to his father. This is what's going on in my life. Uh, and you've got complaint and praise intermingled in Psalm 31. And you see, it's however, it's not a complaint about God. It's complaint to God. Now, I can't cover the whole psalm. Uh, but I want you to see the difference of perspective. He is not coming here slandering God. He is not libeling God. He is not blaspheming God. He is not denying the works of God. He is not suppressing the truth about God. He doesn't do that at all. For instance, note verse 4. He says, you will Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. I'm in trouble. Here's my complaint. I've got these enemies. They're trying to bring me down. But, but what does he say? And he says in the, in the earlier verse, in three, he says, you're my rock, you're my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You, <laughs> he didn't say you, you're going to abandon me. He says, for your name's sake, you will lead me You will guide me, for your name's sake. The name of the Lord is a strong tower; the righteous run into it and are saved. Just the name. God does things because of His name. Those who know Thy name will put Thy their trust in Thee. God cannot deny who He is; He can't deny His name. You look at this perspective. He's in trouble. He's in difficulty. You will pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Now he quotes something that Jesus quoted, into your hand I commit my spirit. Look at 7. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul. He's not bitter because he has troubles. He's calling to the Father because he has a perspective that these troubles are a tool that God uses in his life to bring about maturity in his life. Look at nine. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. Now you talk about, this guy is in difficulty. Uh, I, I'm so glad this is in the scripture. Because there will be a time in your life where you will resonate with this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, I am in distress. My eye is wasted away because of grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sign. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away because of all my adversaries. I become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. Verse 14, watch this. So we've just gotten a little complaint to God. Watch this, 14. But as for me, I trust in you. Oh, Lord, I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. 17, let me not be put to shame, O Lord. I call upon you. 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. What a perspective. See the difference between complaining about God and complaining to him? You can complain to him because he's your father. But he's not accusing God. He's running to God. He knows that he can count on the promises of God. He knows that even though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, even though he walks through the valley of deepest darkness, I will fear no evil. Watch this. For thou art with me. Why does God take us through these things? because he's up to something, because he wants to train us, because he wants to develop us, because he wants to mature us. He doesn't lose his perspective of giving honor and praise to God. See, guys, this is, once again, I come back to the importance of spending time in the Word because when you're in the Word and you read the Word, you get a perspective about what God is doing in your life through adversity that you don't get when you're not in the Word. Give me a second. I had a little yellow sticky note that's gone, but fortunately... I do not trust sticky notes. I wrote it on another page because I do not put my confidence in technology. Look at Psalm 56, 9. And really, before I do Psalm 56, 9, I'm going to do 55, 22. Because, you see, once again, you only get this from the Word of God. How is it that when God is shaping you and developing you and taking you through seasons in the wilderness, seasons of prolonged disappointment? And I was having a discussion with a gentleman last week after the study, and and he's been in quite a season. But I was fascinated with his perspective because he was telling me, you know, I've learned that some of these things I've really, really wanted Perhaps what God has done in denying them to me is he has protected me because that would have put me perhaps in a position that I just was not equipped to handle. We always assume that promotion or this or this is the very best that could happen. And from my perspective, see, we look at those things, that's the best for me, but God knows things about those situations that have never entered our minds usually. Oftentimes, God says no to the things, and we get crushed, and it breaks our heart when God is actually protecting us because it's not for our best, but we can't see it because we don't have his perspective. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see. Uh, So we all carry burdens, and we all have hardship and difficulty 55.22, cast your burden upon the Lord, he will sustain you. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I believe. If you look in the margin of the New American Standard, it'll give you an alternative, rough-hewn translation. It says this, cast what he has given you upon him. What is it that you're dealing with? Ultimately, whatever it is you're dealing with comes from the Lord. Ultimately, because he is sovereign over all of life. The good and the bad. Uh, Psalm 119, 91, All things are thy servants. All things. Not some things. All things are thy servants. Uh, I looked that up in the Hebrew, the word all. I spent several hours on it. Let me tell you what that word all means in the original. It means all. I didn't spend hours on it. But all things are his servants. Why? Because he's the sovereign God of the universe. All things. Um, That's why, um, I think it was Thomas Watson that said, whatever the affliction, ultimately it is the Lord who sends it. What did Job say? He tore his clothes after all the terrible things happened. He said, the Lord gives and Satan takes away. So what he said, "The Lord gives and what? The oh, the Lord takes away." But yeah, yeah Steve, but Satan was the instrument. He was. But Satan had to go to God to get permission to afflict him. So ultimately, if God had not signed off, it wouldn't have occurred. See, this is where God works strangely. But God will never allow an affliction if He does not intend a greater grace down the road. It's like Joseph said to his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good in order to bring about this present result. So cast what he has given you upon him. See, whatever the weight is that you're dealing with, if you can take a step back and say, Father, I don't understand this. I don't know why. I can't, I can't comprehend this. But I know that you're sovereign and that you have a plan for my life. And you will never leave me or forsake me. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And Lord, I can, I, I'm not sure how I can bear this, but I look to you. And I live off your promises here. And I know you will deliver me in your way and in your time. You see, that's perspective. Uh, let me show you a few other verses along these lines. Psalm 57, actually I didn't do 56. Psalm 56, 9. And see, the only way you can pray a prayer like that is if you know Psalm 56, 9. This I know that God is for me. Well, Steve, I struggle with sin. Well, you need to know Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you? Do you know Christ Jesus? Yes, then you're not condemned. This I know that God is for me. Unless there is known sin in your life, as we discussed last week, that you're not dealing with, God's for you. Now, if there is known sin that you're not dealing with it, can I give you a tip? Deal with it. Confess it. Come clean. Put it on the table before the Lord. Get it out in the open. Get it out of the darkness and into the light. Receive his forgiveness. And then you move on. But this I know that God is for me. Then look at Psalm 57. See, see the reason I'm going through these verses, this is what you do to keep your balance when you have a complaint so that you don't get embittered. Psalm 57, 2, I will cry to God most high. He cries out of desperation. I will cry to God most high, to God, watch this, who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. Is he going to send from heaven on your time frame and what you've written down? No, he's going to do it according to his calendar and according to his math, not yours. Uh, take a look uh, at Psalm 138, if you would, verses seven through eight. Once again, guys, this is the perspective that comes to us only from the word of God that helps us to keep our balance and keep us thankful in the midst of hardship and keep us from grumbling and complaining and murmuring and accusing God and becoming bitter towards God. Psalm 138, verses seven Through eight. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. Look at eight. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. It doesn't say he might. It says he will. You have a plan for my life. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. So if that's true, wherever I am right now, the pain, the difficulty, the hardship, the confusion, I can praise him because the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. His will for my life cannot be thwarted. So I can praise him. I I may not have a lot of enjoyment, but I can praise. Psalm 42, why are you in despair, Oh, my soul, and why have you become downcast within me? Watch this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his saving acts. The guy's in depression. We get in depression sometimes. Because this is tough stuff, and it's hard stuff. But see, I want to keep my balance I want to keep my balance by being fully anchored on the truth of who my Father is. So complain to him. Pour it out to him. He can take it. He knows it. And then remind yourself of who he is and what he's done. And remind yourself of the promises. See, that's how you stay balanced. That's how you stay sane. That's how you... That's how you stay thankful. Flip over, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Um, this is, uh, I, I mentioned Bill Kennedy a couple weeks ago, comes to our Bible study. Uh, Bill was in prison for 17 years and for some, some a crime he actually didn't commit. Um, Tim LaHaye was a close friend, Tim was discipling him by telephone. And one of the first things Tim said is read Philippians every day because it was written by Paul when he was in prison for something he didn't do. Um, so read it. Philippians is an amazing book because it, it appears that in Philippians what's happening is that Paul is writing to the church to encourage them. They wrote because they were concerned about how he was doing, he turns the table and he writes to encourage them. That's interesting. And all the way through Philippians, you, hear, you see the word rejoice. Rejoice. Um, look at verse 3 of 1. I thank God, my God, in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer, watch this, with joy in my every prayer for you all. He doesn't offer prayer he doesn't just offer prayer. He offers prayer with joy. Well, how the heck can you have joy when you're in these circumstances? Um, look at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I'm sorry, excuse me. Here you take this great preacher, and, you, and, and he's been locked up. Now, is that not a, I mean, would, not you, would, would, would that not be discouraging My gosh, I mean, we need him out there declaring the word of God. Paul says, I want you to know that my being in this prison have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What? Well, how can that be? Uh, Verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. The Praetorian Guard? Well, yeah, they were the elite of the elite of the military in Rome. The Roman Senate was made up of members, former members of the Praetorian Guard. They were the cream of the cream. And as Ray Steadman used to say, for eight hours a day, these young, elite, military men with great futures in front of them would be chained to the Apostle Paul for eight hours at a time. They were just trying to be pagans. Paul wasn't chained to them. They were chained to Paul. And they couldn't get away from him. And things began to happen. Well, what began to happen? Well, the cause of Christ has become well-known, watch this, throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. What if Paul had gone up to Caesar's palace and said, hey, uh, I, I was just wondering if I could hold a chapel service for the Praetorian Guard? I'd like to come in here, I, I could be the chaplain. I'd like to do a weekly Bible study. You guys all right with that? No, we're not all right with that. Get out of here. So what did God do? Well, he just got him in through another door. He got arrested. And these Praetorian Guard guys are chained to him for eight hours at a time. Uh, Go to the end of Philippians, verse 21, chapter 4, verse 21. Paul's wrapping up the letter. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm their, cha- I'm their chaplain. I come in once a week and hold Bible study. No, I'm a prisoner. But you see, what's happening is these Praetorian Guard guys, they're dropping like flies. They're coming to know the Lord. And then they're sharing these guys, and they're sharing these guys, and suddenly right under Caesar's nose, the Spirit of God is moving. Because God works, but God works Strangely. That's why he didn't lose his joy. And see, he says something else. Verse 10 of 4, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. And they were concerned. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. Watch this. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. I can can handle either one. Now, notice this. He says, I have learned. That doesn't come naturally to any of us, does it? No. But I have learned. See, you can learn this. But you only learn it from the perspective of the Scripture and with a teachable heart to the Lord. I have, I know how to get, I'm sorry, let me do 11 again. I have learned to be content. And we're in the process of learning this. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. And see, the children of Israel never learned it. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Watch this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know what he's saying there, in a sense? You know what he's saying contextually? I put that together. He's saying, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because you see, he's given me perspective. And sometimes it's pretty good. It's the thrill of victory, and sometimes it's the agony of defeat. But when I step back and I see the big picture of what he's doing, I want you to rejoice with me because he's at work. Oh, and see, it's in Philippians. It's in the same book. (laughs) In 1.6, we've already quoted it. He says, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Whatever you're in is temporary. It's not forever. It's temporary. It's for a season. You can thank God for that. Count it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. James 1. It doesn't say feel it as joy. It says think it as joy. It doesn't say that your emotion is, is joy that the trial. But you you, you got to think it. You take a step back and say, wait a minute. What the heck's going on here? God's working on my life for a season. This is hard stuff. This is tough. Give me a teachable spirit, Lord. Don't let me get off track here. Don't let me get bitter or angry. Don't let me deal with all that nonsense. Keep me right where I need to be with you. Let me get under your authority. Let me get under your sovereignty and your timing because you've got a plan for my life. I trust you. Keep me teachable here. Don't let me go left or right. My times are in thy hands. Keep me thankful in the midst of this. Well, I'm out of time. Uh, This past week, I started reading uh, Corey Tim Boom's story again. Corey Tim Boom, uh, along with her father and her sister Betsy, they lived in Holland. They took in some Jewish families during the Nazi occupation and they were found out. And uh, they went to the concentration camps. Her father died and her sister, Betsy, died. They are in horrific conditions, horrific and unimaginable. And if you read, and if, I, I can't forget this verse. If, if, you, if you read her story, The Hiding Place, it, it's, it's, it's just a remarkable, remarkable book. Her family was remarkable. Uh, they were in a separate prison from their father. Never saw him again. He was a godly man. Uh, Betsy started going downhill fast because of the abuse, because of the malnourishment. It's, it's a sickly young woman to begin with and just couldn't. She, he, she was, Corey was watching her sister die before her eyes. But Betsy had such a, an amazing perspective on the sovereignty of God and on the promises of God. And Corey would tend to get impatient and discouraged. And Betsy would say, Corey. First Thessalonians five eighteen. In everything give thanks. We cannot lose our thankful hearts. My gosh, they're in a concentration camp. They were crammed into a dormitory with 400 women, and it wasn't designed for 400 women. It, it was claustrophobic. And the conditions were so horrific. One of the things that was the worst, they're, they're, they, they, it was absolutely infested with fleas. They couldn't sleep at night without breathing fleas. They couldn't wake up in the morning without fleas in her mouth. Fleas, 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 fleas. And Corey was about at the end of her rope. Somehow Corey had managed to get a small Bible in there with her. It was the only Bible. And with fear and trepidation, one night she opened the Bible and some women were around and she began to read the Bible. And they were afraid any minute the guards would come in. And the guards didn't come in. The next night they did it again, looking for the the guards didn't come. And then the next night, and they went for weeks and weeks and weeks. No guards. And one night, Corey was so discouraged. She said, Betsy, I cannot take these fleas. These fleas, these fleas... I can't take another moment with these fleas. Betsy said, We must be thankful for the fleas. Corey said, I can't be, Betsy, I cannot thank God for the fleas. Betsy said, How else do you think we have Bible study without the guards coming in here? How else do you think we're not raped? Why is it that when we're in here, there is protection. Corey, it's the fleece. God has sent the fleece. Let us give thanks for the fleece. And I'm a complainer. I'd shut my mouth. Father, thank you that you work for our good even when we can't perceive it. Uh, There are hard things in life. There are things that come in and break our hearts. Betsy died in that concentration camp. But when she died, she was immediately promoted into your presence. Um, Only the truth of the word of God can set us free. Encourage hearts tonight. If we have become hardened, if we become angry, if we become bitter, restore to us the joy of our salvation. For the well-timed helps that you give us that we don't even recognize as being from your hand. Thank you for the manna, all of it, even the manna that's camouflaged. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.